This is a special bonus episode and is part of our Premier League Countdown series currently on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast feed. There's an episode dedicated to every single Premier League club as we build up to the return of football. So check out the Ornstein and Chapman podcast or the Athletic app to hear other episodes from the series. Hi there, it's Adam Leventhal here once again. Welcome to The Athletic's Premier League Countdown podcast. With the return of the 2019 season only days away, we're releasing 20 podcasts on the Ornstein and Chapman feed, each one dedicated to a different Premier League team. That's two podcasts a day, every day up until football returns. Now, if you're not already a subscriber, uh, you can sign up right now and take advantage of our 30-day free trial simply by going to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy the best football writing anywhere just as the season makes its return. In this episode, we are discussing Everton, who sit 12th in the Premier League, and we can welcome one of the Athletic's dedicated Everton writers, Paddy Boylan. Paddy, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Ticking along, enjoying these uh, preview podcasts as we get ready for uh, the restart. Um, we should also mention that you are our uh, dedicated uh, podcaster for the Everton podcast Glad Tidings, uh, which has been running episodes all through uh, the lockdown and prior as well. Are, are there any ones that stick out for you for people who don't necessarily know that it's there they should they should look out for? Yeah, I think more than anything, we've just been keeping people up to date with what's happening on and off the pitch at the club over over this difficult period, the, the lockdown period. So that's been everything from, um, we did an interview with Lee Carsley a few weeks ago, talking about the 0405 season when Everton clinched fourth place ahead of Liverpool. But we also spoke to Lee as well during that podcast about his experiences with England on the 21s and, and working with some quite highly rated young Everton players. So we, we did that. We've, we've also, we did a podcast with, with Mundial magazine that I'm sure lots of listeners will know, talking about Everton's new kit deal with Hummel. And last week we, we took, a, took a look at the news that, um, first of all, that Leighton Baines is likely to prolong his stay at Everton for a further year, a popular decision all around, and also that the, there are a few injury worries ahead of the, the resumption of the season. So we, we kind of aim to cover all aspects of the club on, on and off the pitch, and, and certainly Everton have been keeping us very busy throughout this lockdown period. Just in terms of where we were before lockdown arrived uh, back in March, it wasn't necessarily a, a great run leading in uh, to lockdown, but overall there seemed to have been a resurgence under Carlo Ancelotti. Just remind us where we where we are with Everton. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shame really that the lockdown happened and the the suspension of football happened when it did for Everton because Everton fans have now had two or three months to get get their heads around the final game before that um, suspension, which was a 4-0 defeat to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And I don't think that was a game that painted Everton in, in their best light. They, they'd had a really difficult run of fixtures leading up to that match and including that match as well, where they played the likes of Arsenal and Manchester United Turned in some quite good performances, actually. Went to the Emirates and I think were quite unlucky on the day to lose 3-2. Um, carved out an awful lot of chances against Arsenal. And then were denied in kind of quite infamous fashion now by by um, by the, the officials late on with a VAR decision against Manchester United in a draw. So 
the 4-0 defeat against Chelsea did not show Everton in, in their best light. And you speak about resurgence under Carlo Ancelotti. That that's very much what we've what we've seen. Maybe the league table doesn't show that to its fullest extent. But we're we we're kind of patently aware of, of behind the scenes that there's there's much more happiness at the way things are going. Um there's more unity. People are kind of pulling in the same direction and believe Carlo is the right man for the job. And on the pitch, we started to see more positive signs after a very disappointing first half to the season. I think Ancelotti came in and made a more more or less instantaneous um, impression, winning against Burnley on Boxing Day and then going away to Newcastle and picking up a win at, um, at St. James's Park. That was quite a big deal for Everton because they, they, they've had a, a really poor record on the road for, for a long time. And Ancelotti was stringing wins together. He was particularly getting the front two firing, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Richarlison. And then they kind of stumbled upon this really difficult run of fixtures, including uh, Arsenal, Manchester United and, and Chelsea. Gave a good account of themselves in quite a lot of those games. But the Chelsea game, the last one before lockdown, as I was saying, was a real disappointment. It has almost given everybody internally and externally two months to ponder um, just where Everton are at this moment in time, really. Obviously, you know, now the the remainder of the season with, with the position that Everton are in, in in 12th, 37 points, what, six points off sixth, well clear of relegation. That isn't going to be a problem. Ten points clear of the, of the bottom three. There is a sort of a, a subplot, I suppose, that, that Carlo Ancelotti will, will want to ensure that he, he meets or in terms of a, a target that he meets. He needs to finish at least eighth doesn't he? Because that's what Sam Allardyce did. That's what Marco Silva did. He needs to show that he can at least do that. I'm not saying that necessarily uh, there will be any sort of massive conclusions made if he doesn't, but it would be a nice, just a little reminder that, yeah, everyone else managed to sort of uh, have a resurgence having taken over uh, and I can do exactly the same and, and finish at least as well as they did with only almost half the season to play with. Yeah, I, th- I think the resumption of the season is, is slightly more problematic for Evertonians than, than some other clubs. And what I mean by that is you, you look at Liverpool fans and potentially, in all likelihood, there's a title on its way. Sheffield United and, and Leicester fans are, are thinking of Europe uh, and there's, there's the real chance of European qualification. When you look at Everton's position in 12th, you kind of question what, what's left to play for between now and the end of the season. The first thing I'd say is, you, you've said there yourself, Everton are only six points off sixth, and it could well be this season that seventh, um, if Manchester City's ban is upheld, still brings European football to one extent or another. So they're not fully out of that European race. And I think certainly Ancelotti needs to show that he can push Everton up the table. That That's going to be an immediate goal for, for everybody at the football club. But there will also still be kind of lingering ambitions of, of European football, even even though there's an outside chance of it. I mean, I, I remember going to um, Everton's general meeting back in January and the club had lost a substantial sum of money. It was, it was £111.8 million, I think, to be exact, for the last calendar year or for the last financial year, I should say. And it was made very clear just how much stock Everton placed on European qualification, even just the Europa League in terms of the, the financial state of the club. That was before the pandemic and, and whatever repercussions are going to be seen from that. So 
you could say that European football is still a big deal for Everton. It still matters to Everton, even if it is just the Europa League. The aim, even if they're in 12th, will be to push on and see how close they can get to, to a European berth. And even just beyond that, the aim will be to finish the season strongly and, and for Ancelotti to show everybody at the football club that he's moving the club forward short term and has the potential to do it even longer than that. But what do you think... Um... Carlo Ancelotti's view is on the squad that he's got at the moment and, and the players that he wants to build around. The first thing he did, more or less, when we when we spoke to him in his in his press conference unveiling, he, he referenced Duncan Ferguson's good work during the interim spell between Silva and, and Ancelotti. Referenced in particular the the attacking duo that had been thrown together up front, Richarlison and Dominic Calvert Lewin. Ferguson had harnessed that partnership really successfully and brought about the system change that got the best out of those two players. Ancelotti's stuck with that. He, he's built on the foundations laid by Ferguson, tweaked the tweaked the system and the intricacies of the system a little bit. They, they still play 4-4-2. And I think that's been one of the big success stories so far for, for both Ferguson and Ancelotti, in that they've, they've managed to get more out of both Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison than perhaps predecessors did. So I think that that's one thing I think that he, he's... He's got going in his favour. He's, he's shown that he can get the me- the best out of some quite key players for Everton. But he will also look at part of the squad, both now and in the and the medium term, and know that there's improvement needed in in, in terms of quality and depth. So, for example, he's been pretty open in saying that he, he feels that they needed at least one addition in central midfield this summer. He wants more energy and more dynamism in that part of the pitch because Everton have been found wanting in, in there at times this season. There's also the pursuit of a, of a centre-half, particularly a left-sided centre-half, which is another priority for Everton. And Everton also have picked up a few injuries during this run as well. Um, JP Gabamin, the the Ivorian signed from Mainz as a replacement for Idrissa Gay over the summer, he's now picked up another injury and is going to be out probably until um, the end of this year, the start of next. If Ancelotti needed one central midfielder before Gabamin's injury, he now arguably needs two. And they've also spoken about a right winger as well, bringing in a goal-scoring right winger to compete with Theo Walcott. So I think Ancelotti has been left in no uncertain terms that this Everton squad is a work in progress. Um, the, the aim is to get into the Champions League and, and first to get into the Europa League in, in the short term. But in order to do that, I think there is an acceptance, uh, even though sometimes they won't necessarily say it, that the improvement will be needed in the window to, to kind of push Everton on and, and get that bit of extra stardust into a squad that just occasionally looks a little bit workmanlike, particularly in the midfield. Obviously, with my Watford connections, I have to ask you directly about Richarlison. Um, and I know he's you know had contract extensions, but every transfer window uh, that comes around, there seems to be more and more speculation about his his longer term future. So it might not happen immediately, but it's almost... <laughs> It seems that the, there is going to be another step. A, a bigger club is going to come come around and and tempt him away. Where does he stand uh, at the moment, coming into the the next transfer window, however long that is going to be, uh, and maybe you know into the next season? Is there a guarantee that he is happy with where he is, and and he sees now with Carlo Ancelotti in charge uh, that he has a manager that can can propel him? Uh, up to the upper echelon to the table. The first thing to say about Richarlison is that he has been outstanding, so it's no surprise to see his name 
linked with big clubs in, in gossip columns and, and, and media columns when we open the front page or the back pages of the papers. He obviously signed a new deal very shortly before Marco Silva departed Everton and um, then shortly after spoke about how positive he was about the future of the club and how the club treat him. We, we understand that he's very happy. He is very happy and he, he, he feels a connection with the supporters. Um, he's got his own song and he feels that connection quite deeply with the supporters um, who have kind of taken him to their hearts. And I think he's also stepped up a notch this season as well. He was very good in spells last season, contributed a good amount of goals. I think it was 13 in the Premier League, but he's already into double figures this season. And obviously we've still got several months left to play. Everton almost seem Ferguson and, and, and Ancelotti almost seem to have unleashed something new, something different and, and got even more out of a player that was already playing for Brazil, already scored a goal in the Copa America final last last summer and has been doing a lot of good things. So I look at players at Everton and glass ceilings and I think to myself, he is probably the one that you look at and think, I'm not surprised if I see Barcelona's name linked with him. I'm not surprised if I see Real Madrid's name. And obviously Barcelona were linked with him uh, as recently as, as January. I think there's a little bit of confusion over that story and so certainly some people were suggesting a, a big bid had been made. Others were suggesting that there was just tentative interest. We know to one extent or another, Barcelona have been monitoring Richarlison. And in a sense, they'd be foolish not to, given his, his performances over the last few years. But I don't think it ever reached the stage where a, a formal bid was registered. I mean, do Everton have a, an uphill task keeping hold of him in the long term? Maybe. Maybe if he continues to develop at this rate, then, then anybody... Um, would be foolish to suggest that there won't be interest in, in Richarlison moving forward. I just think at this moment in time, he looks very happy. Um, he's he's spoken positively about Carlo Ancelotti, positively about the direction of the club. And while you can never totally rule out moves, if, if big, big Champions League clubs come in, um, it would be a surprise to me if Everton were to, to look to cash in on him as an asset in, in the near future. And that said, I mean, you, you you mentioned the fact that he is in a good place and he appears to be happy. I suppose it would help if there is momentum going into next season, just to guard against any sort of wavering from Richarlison. I think that's the same with a number of players across the board with Everton. Certainly, Luca Dean is somebody who will be on the radar of, of Champions League clubs, potentially, given what he's done at left-back over the last few years. Dominic Calvert-Lewin has, has stepped it up a gear this season and is now very close to, to the England squad. And if, there, there are a number of players at Everton that I would suggest are certainly better than the 12th place in the table paints them as at, at this moment in time. So Everton need to show these players that they're able to push on, that they're able to get back into Europe. I think for, for most, it maybe if not necessarily for next season, but certainly in the years to come, Europa League is almost a bare minimum if they're, they're ambitious footballers. And that goes for Richarlison to, to Dean and, and Calvert-Lew and players of that ilk. I do feel, though, that Ancelotti's appointment almost symbolises that this is still an ambitious project from Everton's owner, Fahad Mashiri and, and the other powers that be at Goodison. And that when players see somebody of Ancelotti's stature coming into the club, it kind of renews focus. And certainly... Everything we've heard, all the feedback from the from the players in public and in private has been more or less overwhelmingly positive about that appointment. So I almost think that, that there's a window here in which 
they will allow certain players will allow the Ancelotti project to kind of crank through the gears, see where it goes to. And then if Everton in a year or two's time are not in the Europa League as a bare minimum, then it might be the case that some of them explore their options because, make no mistake about it, Everton are, are in 12th at this moment in time, but they've got players that could play a lot higher than that, in my belief. Is there the feeling as well that, you know, the fact that um, Fahad Mashiri has pumped so much money into the into the football club and, you know, some critics will say it's been misguided, he's come up with plans that maybe haven't come to fruition when they, they should have done, is there the feeling that this this really does need to work now? If it doesn't, then it won't just be the players that will maybe be thinking, well, what do we do from here? But the fans will also be thinking, we need to look in the boardroom because you, you've had you've had too many opportunities. Or am I just being harsh? I think it would be fair to say that Everton are at quite a crucial juncture as far as the Mashiri project is concerned. He came in and he obviously spent an awful lot of money um, under successive managers, Ronald Koeman, um, and then obviously they had to go to Sam Allardyce, back to Sam Allardyce in the transfer market in the short time he was at the club. Marco Silva was backed as well. Everton have spent a lot of money, and you can't really say they're much further on than when Mashiri came to the club in, in 2016. His commitment and his focus in terms of wanting to get the most out of Everton as a, as a as a club and as a brand, I think is, is more or less unwavering. I don't think anybody could call that into question. But certainly individual decisions and, and individual signings, you might be able to just pick holes in some of that and, and look at it and say, well, was that really the best use of funds? And when you spent four or five hundred million in your time at the club, then sometimes the, the light doesn't shine quite as, as brightly as it did. Um, the other thing is that off the pitch, I think Everton now need to start making positive steps towards cashing in on their, their status as a top flight club, getting closer to the top six in terms of recognition. That's a very, very difficult ask, but hopefully com- the commercial performance of the club will be helped by the planned move to a new stadium in time for the 2023-24 season. I think it's September 2023 that they're looking at this. That would help inordinately in terms of funding and making the club seem um, more sustainable financially. And that that's what Mashiri's got to do. He's got to push the, bra- the the club and the brand on off the pitch and also make sure the team is is moving forwards as well. At the moment, I don't think progress is quite as rapid or as stark as he would have expected. Um, but... This is almost, I think, I think with Ancelotti coming in, he finally got the top tier manager he'd been looking for for a while and had failed to get in in um, previous appointments. And like I say, with the players, it almost feels like this is a bit of a renewal. It's a it's a fresh assault on um, the top six. When he, when he came in, he spoke about a window of opportunity, three to four years to push Everton on and, and, and make them a top, top club again in England. They're not quite there yet, and, and maybe time's running out on his on his four year timeline if it hasn't already. Um, but the symbolism of Ancelotti, I think, is there for all to see, as is the case with the new stadium as well, potentially um, in a few years' time. On the new stadium, obviously, you would love to be going into it with European football, uh, potentially Champions League football already secured. But is there the danger, as we've seen with you know many other clubs down the years, that you know the likes of Arsenal, you know a few years back moving from Highbury to to the Emirates, Tottenham in the last uh, couple of years themselves, 
they have to cut their cloth accordingly. Uh, and will Everton be able to uh, continue the progress that they want with those financial concerns on the balance sheet? And, you know, let's be, let's be brutally honest, we also don't know the impact of what the, the COVID-19 outbreak is going to do to football. So there's also that concern. So it's whilst it's exciting, there's a lot of uncertainty as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And we talk about the the situation before, and, and Everton making a lot, uh, well, a big loss of of nearly 112 million for the last financial year. That that sits outside of the the current situation with with uh, coronavirus and the likely financial repercussions of that. So, I think Everton have always been quite confident that they could adhere to financial fair play and give Ancelotti the funds necessary to move the project on and to to kick the team on. Coronavirus puts an extra hurdle in front of them, but still there is some degree of confidence that they're able to do those things. But I think we will also see all clubs cut their cloth accordingly at the end of this, and the football landscape will be different once we come out of it. Uh, We've already heard suggestions, not necessarily from Everton, but from other clubs that, um, whereas before kind of expensive targets were on the shortlist, now clubs instead will look to players out on loan to fill problem positions they'll they'll assess what's in the squad to see if anybody on the fringes can come in and and do a job and I think that's going to be the same for just about everybody maybe with the exception of Chelsea because of their transfer ban and and the signing of of Timo Werner Um, so there are questions Everton still believe they can do this um, and have believed for quite a while that they're able to square that circle they're able to um, provide the manager with funds and adhere to financial fair play. Sometimes it's, it's been difficult to um, to reconcile those two positions journalistically. You, how how do they do that? And sometimes the answer is well, maybe they might have to get a lot of deadwood um, off the books in terms of the squad. That's going to be a difficult task in itself, of course, um, over the over the course of the next weeks and months and and the next few windows. So it's a big task that Everton ha- have on their hands. They they need to make shrewd decisions in the transfer market. They need to sell players for, for decent profit wherever they can. Fringe players, maybe more than first-team stars. Uh, and they need to show Ancelotti that um, that ambition that convinced him to join in the first place. A lot seems up in the air, but I think a lot is up in the air, not just for Everton, but for, for just about every club in the league. And just a final question, and I know we, we sort of broached it with your very first answer that Liverpool are on the verge of, of winning the title. Just give me a taste of what it's like to be an Everton supporter in Liverpool at the moment with them on the brink. <laughs> what a question. Um, it, it's an interesting scenario. And what I mean by that is, I think I, I touched on a slight apathy to the season starting. And whereas if you're a Sheffield United fan or a Leicester fan, you're excited to see your team potentially secure European qualification. Everton fans don't have that to quite the same extent and they also see that the first game up after the restart will be against Liverpool, venue to be confirmed, so you you might strip home advantage out of that, which is which is a big, big thing for Everton to have a Goodison derby and the advantage there. Liverpool could clinch the, the league, we know, either against Everton or in the game after against Crystal Palace. And I think that's why that apathy is there, because some some clubs will have, supporters of some clubs will have a real sense of anticipation about what their side can do. 
But in terms of Everton's predicament and the predicament of, of Liverpool, that the club closest to them geographically, obviously, um, there, there are some things that are happening there that, that make it, let's just say, a less than ideal scenario for, for any Everton fan at this moment in time. <laughs> it's fantastic that we're on a podcast. We can't use any effing and jeffing. So you've said it's, it's less than ideal. That's brilliant. Paddy, we really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully uh, the season ends with, with a, a bit of momentum for Everton kicking on to, to next season. So thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, Adam. Paddy, brilliant. Uh, if uh, you're not already subscribing, of course, to The Athletic, make sure that you go to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman to enjoy all of Paddy's writing on Everton, uh, plus much, much more. You can currently take advantage of our 30-day free trial if you want to try before you buy. Uh, and with that, you'll enjoy all the best football writing as the Premier League returns. And uh, make sure you download The Athletic's dedicated Everton podcast as well. Glad tidings, Paddy and our other Everton writer Greg O'Keefe release a new episode every single week so you can listen to that right now uh, just to get you into the mood for the return of the Premier League and that forthcoming Merseyside derby. Keep an eye on this podcast feed and the Athletic app to hear all 20 of our Premier League countdown podcasts each one dedicated to a different team just to give you the uh, ideal briefing before we get underway once again. We'll see you for the next one. Take care.